We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Seahawks Man to Man podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Duger. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the Tweet Machine. You guys know where to follow me, so I will shout out the YouTube channel, Seahawks Man to Man on YouTube. Shout out to everyone who's been subscribing there. Make sure you go hit that button, even if you are someone who listens to the audio version. Uh, Chris, talk to him. What is up, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. You can follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206, and that's CKID206. We have a special guest joining us on this off-season edition of the Seahawks Man to Man podcast. Uh, he's probably he's our guest coming to us from the furthest away, uh, I think, in terms of just distance uh, from us. We have Maddie Brown. Maddie, what up, man? What's up? I- I'm gonna add that to my Twitter bio. I was on <laughs> the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, and the furthest away, got the miles down. Yeah, I can't think. Have we had no? I don't think so. This no, is, this is pretty far. This is the this is yeah. Where are you where are you talking to us from, Maddie? I'm talking to you from, as you may be able to tell from my accent, from England, uh, near near London. It's, it's inside the M25, but that probably means nothing to you. Kind of near no, Heathrow. I have no idea what that meant <laughs> at all. I uh, thought you were talking 007, no, M25. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Matty joins us from England. He writes for All Seahawks on the Fan Nation Network. Um, he also uh, has his YouTube channel, Breaking Down. Um, a lot of Seahawks players, uh, draft prospects, like, this guy knows his stuff. Um, he's one of the one of the few people that I really like go to sometimes. Like, hey, yo, yo, I don't understand this football thing. Can you help me? You know, and the, the list of people I do that with that didn't play for the Seahawks is very small. Um, so that lets you know uh, how much Maddie knows about the game. So I want to before we talk about the Seahawks, I want to dive into that a little bit because some people are listening probably heard your accent. It's like, Mike, Chris, what the hell is this guy? <laughs> going on here uh so uh maddie tell us how how did you get into american football as someone living in england that that's a very kind way of calling me a massive nerd that's basically what <laughs> I am. um so and on that nerdy topic uh turned on a game in 2012 when it was on on like tv it was like what is this rubbish like this is gonna be you know absolute trash um there's a lot of stere- negative stereotypes over like the players wearing pads and it being like a soft version of rugby. And then I sort of watched it. And was like, oh no, these pads are like actually like a weapon to hit guys. Like 
you're going to be physical doing this. And then the nerdy part came in, started playing Madden, realized, oh, hang on a second. There's all this scheme here. I can I can scheme up here and got into the X's nose, the tactics and wanted to learn more about, you know, well, what is a cover of three? Like, what actually is that? And then the Seahawks, the colors were cool. And Marshall Lynch is Marshall Lynch and played it at university, coach it now still. Um, and I, I love the sport. Nice. You mentioned Madden. Are you still playing Madden by any chance? No, have... no, no, no. You know what? I I uh, play NCAA 14 still because mm. I like to say Madden's still trash now. Yep. But um, also I'm bad at it, so that doesn't help. Like if I was <laughs> good at it, then I feel like I'd be okay with how bad the game is to play. But gotcha. It's double bad. <laughs> Wait. So you, and you're you're coaching American football as well over there. Yeah. 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 So I coach for the London Olympians at the moment. Um, we play in the Prem South, which is like the top adult uh, division because you have university game and then adult. Uh, it's all amateur, but it's it's really good fun. Lots of talented players. Um, and the game, I, I think, is starting to grow again with, with the London games, right? Um, and also just the, the internet. Like, I would not have been able to learn so much in such a quick time without the internet. Um, same for the players. Um but then also, if I'm learning that much and coaching the players, hopefully I'm helping the players uh, get a bit better, a bit quicker than like back in the 80s. You talk to the old coaches in the UK and they're like, oh, an American would come over. And it was amazing. Like someone say on like an army base or like an Air Force base. It was amazing. He's, he's a savant. He he knows this and that. He has all he had a book which he showed us about how to stop the wing T. And so like <laughs> <laughs> and so like it basically that was just like running into each other. No uh, offense, but to no, you're elders, good. But yeah. And are you the you're the div, uh, defensive coordinator? No, I'm the defensive backs coach there. Um, oh, but okay. I, I have been a defense chat later. Yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Yeah, that sounds fun. All right, so let's. How do I? I want to preface this the right way. Let's jump into the Seahawks. Um, there's there's a there's a divide right now. I, I can confidently say that as someone who lives here, covers a team. There's the Pete Carroll camp. And there's the Russell Wilson camp. And that's everyone's like, I mean, the Russ camp, so I'm Russ's homie. Not like that. Just like people who've kind of picking a, chosen a side in this civil war. Um, there's, And I think week one is so fascinating in that way. Because you got like Pete Carroll and John Snyder basically saying, hey, we can get this. We built it once. We can build it again. Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner be damned. Right. And you got like Russ. Like, well, hey, guys, I'm excellent. Maybe we should build this thing around me. And we watched that clash over the last few years, maybe five or six years, anything post-Super Bowl 49, quite honestly. You know, you got Pete. Let's run the ball. Let's play great defense. Let's use the pass. Or excuse me, let's use the run to set up the play passes. Boom. Russ is like, ah, well, let's throw it. You know, then if let's run it if they force us to. And don't worry about whether, like, volume will decrease my efficiency because I'm that dude. I'm Russell Wilson. Uh, like, I'm generalizing both of their takes there, but I know you kind of get the gist on both sides. You've studied it as well. So, Maddie, whose side are you taking on what I like to informally call like the great Seahawks debate? Oh, you're pushing me to extremities. I love I love <laughs> both of these people. Uh, they're, they're great. They're great people. But based on perhaps not through um, perhaps not Russell Wilson himself, but through the, like, the narratives, right? I'd, I'd probably air more to the Pete Carroll side, especially of how extreme some of the narratives have got around Pete Carroll, right? Like you're saying, for instance, here that, you know, Pete Carroll wants to run the ball and he does, but you know, the the last six years, he's been like 
she skewed past like four of those six seasons so that they were still like passing a fair bit because Russell Wilson's a quarterback. So obviously you want to do that. Right. You know, I want to follow up on that real fast. What else do you think? Because like, like you said, I, I pushed it to the you know one side a lot. You know, I generalized. But what else do you think is maybe like a misconception of like how Pete wants to get down, whether it's offense or, or it's defense? I, I think all of it stems from him wanting to, to do what his players are best at, what he feels his players are best at, right? And I think that is easy to overlook when they're doing cer- certain things. It's like, well, no, he's, he's trying to make it um, as simple as possible for his players and put them in the best position to you know improve and then succeed, right? And I think when you look at, for instance, the approach of Russell Wilson, right? I think, you know, when they, when they run the ball a bit more, it's why are they actually doing that, which I think there's a misconception about because it's all well and good saying we're going to pass a lot of the time. Like, we, we're going to pass lots and lots and lots. But at a certain point, there's diminishing returns with that approach. And there's also passes that Russell Wilson is just, like, flat out not good at. Mm. John Schneider and Pete Carroll clearly are looking to retool this team. They might cause a rebuild. I like calling it a retool because they still have some pretty dominant pieces that can help this team make a playoff run and eventually make it to the Super Bowl. That's their goal, obviously. Based on what you've seen since the trade of Russell Wilson, since they didn't re-sign Bobby Wagner, where is your faith in this in Pete and John that they can get this team back to the Super Bowl without Russell Wilson, without Bobby Wagner, without those core pieces to this team that we've had, that the Seahawks have had previous years? It's an interesting one because the the drafting there's there's some shaky moments there which test your faith right. But then I actually think t- from 2020 to 2021, I actually felt both those drafts were very like this makes sense. Like the Jordan Brooks thing was a surprise, but then you you watch his uh, tape or, or you're a maniac like me and you watch like 16 <laughs> games of his tape because you're trying to disprove a narrative, another narrative that um he's bad in pass coverage, right? Um, and you're like, wow, this this is literally the future. Like, this is like the, one of the best linebackers I've ever seen. Like, and and I'm sure in their much more professional opinion, you know, they they saw that too. It was so obvious a fit. Um, and then twenty twenty. So and then in 2022, right, our lo- the last draft we've just seen. Um, again, I think people are more positive about that overall. But that's just because their needs, um, their perceived needs from the public, uh, they matched up with what they felt was a need too, right? Like, so they, they ended up having, and it's also was in positions that they valued highly. So left tackle, they've, they've always valued left tackle highly Um, other than one year where they, they had a solution, which they thought was a solution of Luke Jokel. That didn't pan out. So they, they messed it up for like a season and a bit. And then they went and got Dwayne Brown after drafting Russell Okung, in, you know, very highly um, way back at the start of all of this, almost the start. Then edge rusher, they clearly value that highly. Um, cornerback was a big need heading into the draft, but um, uh, they, that's one thing where I think they're a bit less uh, in tune with that. They seem to uh, value safeties more, or they certainly do with this current roster construction. They've loaded into safeties. But to actually answer your question, rather than just waffling f- through the draft, my, my faith is quite high. I, I, I'm, I feel, um, obviously, the quarterback situation is going to be bad. Um, well... <laughs> It's not obvious, but it's it's not going to be as good as Russell Wilson in the interme- in the immediate, right? Yeah. But 
you know, there's pieces they've got in their roster where, where they've put together a roster, which I'm thinking is good. And then next year, they've got a lot of assets. They'll have more cap room. Um, and they've got, they've made a concerted effort to get younger, where I think there's all the tools around it where, you know, if Gino or Drew does prove what I've just said wrong, you know, or if they, if they'd like a quarterback in the draft, they can make that happen. Um, so yeah, my, my, my faith is probably, um, you know, out of 10, like probably like a seven. Okay. That's not, that's not yeah. bad. Yeah. So my follow up would be, what would you consider a successful season considering what they've done with this team now? Would it be a, are you looking at wins? What for you, Matt, what is like, Oh, you know what? That was a successful season. No matter how it, how it is viewed by others. Mm. So uh, I, th- I think seven and well, this 17 game season is awful, isn't it? <laughs> it's like what what's that about? Seven bit. and nine. Seven and nine's great, but seven and ten, oh. Um <laughs> I'd go with I'd go with eight and nine, right? Um that equals seventeen. Yes. Nailed it. <laughs> yep. Correct. Um we hate doing math on this show, but yeah, I'm way, so but... I'm so bad at that. I was always drawing um soccer formations before I uh got into American football. Again, massive nerd, <laughs> but not in the right way with maths. Anyway, um yeah, eight and nine because one right i i think there's a there's a natural um tendency as fans like it's gonna eight and nine that not isn't necessarily that fun you haven't made the playoffs it's like mediocre and you've lost probably some important games right or some big time games and then it's like well if we tanked we'd have got the number one overall pick and and there's there's this uh movement towards tanking and and losing your, your draft position um or improving your draft position, sorry. But the problem with that is, it's, it, one, it's really hard to lose. It's hard to lose enough. Like, look at all the teams who've tried to tank in, in previous seasons. <laughs> they, they end up winning a game and the, the, the whole fan base is in crisis because one other team's even worse than them somehow. And then, two, it destroys your culture. Like, Pete Carroll cannot, like, I don't, he wouldn't survive if they were doing that. Um, well, it'd have had to have been agreed with ownership or whatever, but, you know, it would be disastrous if they started just, losing loads but if they go eight and nine right the the reason that's successful is because one if they go eight and nine the quarterback play hasn't been abysmal right right it's been it's been at a good level two if the quarterback level's only taken you to eight and nine then that to me implies that the run game's been good and it to me implies that the defense has been able to hang around in a lot of Mm -hmm. games so it it goes back to what i was saying in in my past answer in that they have the pieces there it's proven that they have the pieces there if the quarterback can improve more. So, yeah. That, that's the thing about uh, the tanking thing. Uh, people will tell me, Mike, I want us to have the highest draft position possible. Mm. And, yeah, there are some really negative ripples to going, like, 3 and 14. Like, yeah, it, it means that this core that people think is good is not would stink. <laughs> like, yeah. that 3 and 14 probably means Charles Cross is bad. And that's four- destroy like, you, you'd know because you've been in locker rooms, right? But. Uh, well, not not as far as I'm aware, like three and fourteen locker rooms, because one they didn't have a seventeen game seasons, and you haven't been in right like where they've lost lots, right? But the culture just gets absolutely like players would just get down on it. It would just yeah be bad. Even the and nine and seven peak. season that I covered in 2017, like that, they, mm. they just handling that for them, you could tell was just hard. And I, that was my first year in the locker room. And you could just tell like that the, the game they got just smoked by Sean McVay was like 40, 40, oh, yeah. 42 to seven or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that was bad. Like, that you could tell it was like, yo, 
is this thing still going the right direction? <laughs> now, credit to the leadership in that room. KJ and Bobby specifically on defense got things turned around and they ended up winning on Christmas Eve, I think, the next week because um, KJ didn't play the week before and then Bobby was hurt. That was the game Earl was like, yeah, B shouldn't have been out there. Like, yeah. It was a lot of chaos that week, but they had the leadership there to put it together. Not to say they don't have leadership now, but like that was a team that was still trying to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You knew in November, it's Thanksgiving, and you two and eight. Bro, nobody in there is having fun. That always compete shit is not going to hit. <laughs> if nobody cares about the quarterback from Ohio State, if on Thanksgiving they all two and eight, yeah, there's nobody in there willing to ram their head into the guy across from them to get Bryce Stroud or CJ Stroud or Bryce Young or whatever. No one cares about that at that time. So yeah, your your culture just goes down the down the drain. You know, you fire you fire position coaches, you fire coordinators, you lose front office people. Like everybody nobody's job is safe at that point. So it's not like a natural linear progression. They just go from seven and ten, bottom out to three and fourteen, and then come back up because you took Bryce Young and you know some some alignment or something with your other first round pick. Like there's some dangers there that go beyond just the economics of the game. But beyond that, I want to talk about your nerdiness for a second here. Um Oh, we, we, well, we glanced over it, and the more you talk about the game, it's like, okay, I kind of want a little bit, know a little bit more about this. How do you go from, okay, 2012, I'm like, what is this rubbish, to, like, now mm. I can tell people, like, what cover nine and cover eight are and, like, explain overhang defenders and fire zone blitzes. Like, how do you even bridge that gap, you know, because there's people – people who've been watching football their whole freaking lives who if i ask them all what's a fire you know fire zone blitz mm-hmm. they'd be like i don't know mike i just watched the raiders or whatever so how did you do that in was that 10 years or so to gain all this knowledge how much of a nerd did you have to become i mean pretty big like i get that question a lot in terms of um like on twitter people would be like hey is there like a good starting point and there isn't really just googling um googling key terms um so like for instance, had a question, which I didn't reply to, but I will reply to that, uh, <laughs> asking what a stick concept is. By the right. time this is out, I'll reply to it. Um, <laughs> cover my bases. Um, what a stick concept is, and I, I back in the day, um, when I was really still learning, I just, you know, key search on Google, stick concept, football, right? And then there's a few different things, and you sort of realize how, how different this is. And then a great websites are like... Um, Inside the Pylon, who I yeah, used to write for, started by um, uh, Mark Schofield, who, who gave me my first shot actually writing about the, the sport. Um, uh, he, he he put together a great resource for sort of learning um, the game, including a glossary, which still exists, of these football jargon. Because the jargon is so difficult. And the more you get into it, the more you realize, well, this coach doesn't call it that. This coach calls it this. And in the NFL, they might look at you weird. And heck, even in England, coaching the game, which again, being around the game, that's that's quite important, I'd say. If you really want to get into it, like any high school in America, I'm sure would would take you on board as a, a water boy or girl or, or a, um, you know, they need they need help, I'm sure, most high schools. So being around the the the, the jargon, the, the football discussions, I think that that teaches you a lot. Um, and then, yeah, and then as you get more into it, going on YouTube and and searching like uh, a coach you're interested in, right, and searching uh, a clinic from them, or or say you're interested in a in a in a scheme, so you're interested in hey the Seahawks play a four three, right? What's a four three? Okay, I'm just gonna put in four three clinic, right? See what comes up. And you'll be, you'll be surprised what's on there. Um, 
a big thing actually really is that I've noticed is Americans are really, uh, American coaches are really good with their time. Um, you could honestly, you could reach out to coaches if you managed to get their email and you could be like, hey, can you like explain this concept to me? And you'll be surprised how many of them reply and are, are very generous with what they give you, for, you know, for free. Like they want to teach, they're, they're teachers. Um, um, so I've, I've had a real mix of uh, being a nerd like, on, on the internet and just researching you know what does that term mean what does this term mean uh madden you know for the real basics like teaching you the rules but also you can get schemey on there like yeah i was telling hey, mike that <laughs> <laughs> yeah you and um even though it's not the best simulation experience of football and i think it's a poor game um but because i'm bad at it but um <laughs> i am too for what it's worth i suck at there mad. we go there we go yeah Thank you, making me feel better. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah, I don't. I, there's no real. Basically, this is a lot of waffle, but there's no. There's no best place to start. You just have to be. Just gotta do it. Yeah, you got, and and that's the thing. Like, um, a lot of the messages you get, um, a, a lot of the replies I get, you know, they're asking about a specific thing, but really, yeah, you just have to put the time in. Like, if if you really want to know, then it will take time but you'll you'll learn like that's that's what it is but it isn't like an instant you, you can't do it like in a week and there isn't like a best route to take i'd say you just gotta throw yourself in and see see what comes out you know i mean honestly that does sound like most things like if you ask someone like yeah. hey how did you get really good at knowing the violin they're like well i played the violin and i i hung out with people who played the violin and then i watched videos on people who played the violin <laughs> so now i know do you, do you think the there's um do you think there's uh you know how like well, like uh, Mozart was a child protege um, on on the on the piano and stuff like that. Do you think there's that for football? Like a, a kid, like four years old, suddenly just like calling plays and absolutely. <laughs> yeah, there, there, prob there probably is, but they're probably like Andy Reid's grandson or something mm -hmm. like that. Like even then, there's probably something. Yeah, bit of nurture going on there. Yeah, you know, yeah, you, you know, the, the, a combination of like nurture and like nepotism, uh, too. Like yeah, that kid ended up being the coach, something like that, or a woman too, or you know, Andy Reid, Andy Reid's mm -hmm. a granddaughter or whoever. It doesn't have to be a dude doing it. Uh, but yeah, I was very curious about that because yeah, you've surpassed. Uh, and I interact with a lot of fans here, so I say this with a lot of confidence. I would probably say like eighty percent of fan knowledge. Like it's very, it's very surface level, you know. It's very basic. Mm. It's whatever Chris Collinsworth says on Sunday night. Like, oh, that's that's law or whatever mm. the, the the Fox broadcast team says on my favorite broadcast of my favorite team. Then yeah, that's mm. that's the law. A lot of people don't watch any other clips beyond that, even highlights, really. Like, because I think like even Sports Center is kind of obsolete now because everything's on mm. Twitter and Instagram. It really is just I watch the game and then I go do something else. Yeah. Well, a that, lot of that's, people studying tape. That's well. one thing I'd say, actually. Um, what, watching the tape, like, the reason I really got into that, it wasn't to know, like, what, you know, um, what is cover three? What does that look like? I didn't do it for that. I did it because, I guess, you know, you, you care about, um, you, you care about the team, but you also care about the players, right? So if someone's saying, like, it, it really riles me up, and part of my work is, is, design well i hope all my work edu educates people or tells them you know here's actually what was going on but a big thing is when a player gets like um criticized or bashed for doing something wrong um when it's not their job that yeah. really riles me up and so i like being able to w watch it and like i don't understand the patriots like scheme 
as much as I understand the Seahawks. So because I'm in that unique position where I've just focused on the Seahawks, uh, especially with my work, right, I can pretty accurately um, like tell you whose fault it was on a, on a play or, who, or, or whose fault it wasn't, which is a much more fun thing to do, right? Um, and especially on the defensive side, which is probably why they, they change the defense up, right? Because if I'm able to tell you what something is. Right. <laughs> Back that means Kyle Shanahan Kyle, can do Kyle it too. Kyle Shanahan can probably do that. Yeah, yeah. Right. Sean McVay, even Cliff Kingsbury, whose offenses take a nosedive after Thanksgiving, uh, he can yeah. probably dissect that if it's, you know, if you if you can do it from from your crib there. Um, and that that would probably would explain why we'll get to him a little later. Why you're you're like me and Chris here. We're in like the Jamal Adams apologists fan club here because he's mm-hmm. almost spent so much time just explaining stuff that wasn't his fault. <laughs> yeah. And when you go yep. back yeah, and watch the tape uh, before we before we get to Jamal um, and some of the other guys we want to talk about, uh, I, I do want to ask about Russ, you know, because, yeah, um, I feel like have in terms of people reaching out to you, are, are you what are they calling you? Are you the Russell Wilson hater? Are you the Russell Wilson truther? Like, what are you based on your mentions and stuff? What do you what do you I label mean? As the- I, I, I think I'm probably the Russell Wilson hater, although yeah. although um that's toned down a bit. You know, the more I say the Russell Wilson's a really good quarterback, it's kind of uh, crazy to still reply to that. Hey, you hate Russell Wilson. Um, <laughs> Interesting. Because he is a very good quarterback, right? Like, that's obvious. Um, I've never said he isn't. Um, and uh, But so there's a few things. I, I can get quite deep into it if you'd like. So I said about the passes he's not very good at, right? Um, those are they tend to be we've all seen the heat maps right of him not targeting the middle area of the field that big mm-hmm. blue section um where pro football focuses heat maps um so if you're passing a lot um there's there's only so many ways you can up your passes so russ is really good on like deep throws like 20 yards plus throws right those are the difficult throws by a uh, completion percentage over expectation and obviously, Russ is really good at them, but they're riskier in terms of holding the football, one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, taking sacks. And the other thing is, if a team, as we saw when Russ was cooking, if a team plays two high coverages and they put a cloud corner, as Sanjay Lal, uh, the wide receivers coach, spoke about um, in, in his latest press conference, if they put a cloud cornerback, so a guy who's rerouting DK, and then they have a safety help over the top, you've taken him out of the game. Now, the, the problem with that is Russell wasn't able to hit the intermediate stuff, the uh, five-step drop um, or uh, in under center or three-step drop in shotgun stuff to beat those coverages. Um, I, I've, I've seen it on the tape. The, the data reflects that. Like, for instance, that bucket of stuff, which um, my, my podcast co-host, the Seattle Overload podcast, my po- sorry for the plug, my podcast co-host, yeah. uh, Griffin, uh, at C Mike Spin Move on Twitter, he he's done some great work on this. Well, Russ's worst uh, bucket by success rate is that five step drop slash three step drop, which is tends to be the kind of intermediate passing concepts because Russ just doesn't hit them. So, how do you right beat too high coverage when you can't throw the intermediate beater? Right. Well, you can do your deep shots, but that's harder. But you can do your deep shots. This even applies to one high. Like, how, how do you beat one high coverage? Because you can only do so many deep shots in a game. Right. And Russ won't hit the the intermediate beaters, especially against kind of zone 
kind of deals. So then you check the ball down, right? And you, you check the ball down on that, but then defenses come up and they camp that because they know you're not, and it's outside the numbers still, they know you're not going to hit the intermediate. So they, they can cheat. It's the NFL. They, the de- defenders know what they're doing. Coordinators know what they're doing the, the, for the, in the most part. They know where you're going to... All of they, them except they, Jack Burrell, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, <laughs> off the field, right? Um, right. Um, but anyway, that's... that's I know. Another, no, that's another topic for distracted another there. Um, anyway, but yeah, Rus- Russell... Um, so how how do you how do you you know if he if he's bad at that certain thing and you can only increase your deep targets so much and your quick game you you can do quite a lot of with Russell that that sort of has to replace the intermediate stuff but at a certain point you can only run so many quick game concepts and you can't really do like over the middle quick game you, you can only do perimeter stuff still um, and defenses can camp on that well the only thing left is to run the ball right but, like come on now. Well, especially if they're showing a light box. So, Pete always talks about balance. And I know, Mike, you, you have asked him, like, you know, on, on multiple occasions, what, what does that actually, like, what does that mean? Because he is quite football coachy with it sometimes. I, I have, in my opinion, not putting words in your mouth. Um, <laughs> and, he's, and he's Pete, right? He, he's got his energy. He's got yeah, Pete this, speak, yeah. And he's distracted sometimes and all that stuff. Yeah. So, anyway. But I think also the run game provides a rhythm like for, for the offense. Because if you're just going to be passing deep, right, or throwing a quick game, which eventually gets camped on, well, you're going to get a lot of incompletions. <laughs> and you got, and you got to get a, you're going to get a lot of holding the ball and maybe taking a sack. And it's going to be very boom or bust. Heck, remember 2021 when the, the defense was having its slow start and struggling. But the offense was very much quick drives or absolutely nothing. They couldn't. That there was no like sustained long drives, because there's no intermediate. Most of the rhythm passes are that in that intermediate area, right? The the five step drop, three step drop, uh, in the gun stuff. So running the ball provides a rhythm to to the game. Um, it, it, if you can run block now, twenty twenty one was bad because they couldn't run block. Um, that it took them a while to find the chemistry up front. Um, but then back half they were running the ball so well that it actually became run heavy team because it was like literally historically efficient run run game with Penny like he was averaging uh, seven yards a carry or something and then yeah he just more... became Barry Sanders for like a month it was kind yeah, of crazy that that was awesome and uh, yeah proved me wrong um so I can yeah, I can I... see how all of that leads someone even if because you can't be as nuanced as you are on t- uh, here on Twitter I can see why if you just kind of point that out in a quote tweet someone like hey man. Why do you hate Russ? <laughs> but that all is it. Chris, that makes sense to me. I get it. I'm not mad at it. You explained his limitations, and those limitations have led you to be like, yeah, he's cool, but if you ask me one side, I'm not going to roll with it because I know his weaknesses that he hasn't expanded, hasn't improved on, and now the Seahawks don't have to worry about that, but they're bringing in maybe lesser talent to that regard. So we'll see how this all plays out. So here's here's a question I have, and mm. I, I know the answer that I tell people when they ask me, but I want to ask you this. If Russ has those limitations and there's just this big-ass chunk of the field, he's not comfortable <laughs> hitting at a consistent rate in a way that kills defenses, how mm. then is he so – like, he's really, really good still. He made nine of the last ten Pro Bowls. Like, <laughs> not to say the Pro Bowls everything, but like he's how is he still so effective and so good and one of the best in the biz and can have those let Russ cook stretches 
if there's that glaring weakness that we can identify from our couches that we know every defensive coordinator can see too. Well, I think it is because of, well, a big reason is his deep ball, right? And he's so accurate on, on the deep ball. And, and he doesn't really, it's quite stable considering that, that would be like what we'd call a seven-step drop concept under center or, or five-step drop in the shotgun. He's, he's just historically great at that, especially versus one high. But, um, yeah, and then and then quick game, his ability to... Imp- he's good at quick game until it starts getting camped on. Um, and then if you complement him with a run game, he's obviously great at play action. Like, And if play action, really, especially under center, is like the concept needs needs to get open, right? Like that's kind of on the coordinator. You just need a guy who can stand there, deliver the football accurately to the... like. Uh, the right vertical reads, you know, well, it's horizontal, but yeah, that sort of thing. So basically Russ, Russ is really good at throwing the ball. And then if you add in the, the up-tempo element where they go up-tempo, well, then defenses are kind of scrambling around. The coverage looks a bit more predictable. And so the quick game, you can, um, it, it, it tends to sort of, well, this is uh, anecdotal, but it gets more um, reliable, I'd say. Um, and you, you kind of get them gassed. And that's, that's sort of then getting into a rhythm, right? It's a very up-tempo, fast rhythm, but it's a rhythm. Um, but like, if you think of the Seahawks offense at their worst, it's when they're, they're completely like, the deep shot isn't working. And then the the quick games like almost getting jumped because they know what it is and they can't run the ball. And then that's that. Um, then on third down, Russ dies. Like, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, third, third and third and long, like Russ, like straight drop back, third and long is not a very good um, quarterback per the data, you know. Um, and a good game to go to actually is that Forty ers game, the first one of the season last mm-hmm. year. Um, where it started like an absolute like mess. I think it was like yeah. five straight three and outs. It I was say. like it, oh, and you you were there in the press box, I imagine. Yeah, that. no. Well, that was actually. I'll let you finish your answer, but like that was we weren't as tuned in because that was actually game one sixty two for the Mariners, I believe. Um, oh. So everyone was kind of like watching on their like iPads or phones to see well, that if was the the Mariners were going to make the playoffs. There we go, and and did they know? No, they did no. not. Yeah, so yeah. then we started. With, years. Then we looked up and was like, "All right, there's a football game." I was like, "Ooh, the Seahawks' offense is trash." But yeah, like continue about that game. Yeah, so that was interesting because they started very poorly, try, and they they couldn't hit the deep balls, and the, their their other passing concepts weren't working, and the 49ers with like the the play their defending play action well, and they were destroying the run right. But then they just went up, up tempo the Seahawks, and it kind of kickstarted them, um, and it undressed certain blitzes, and and all that stuff. Um, and it and it worked really well. The other thing with Russ is he's he's a very good quarterback at um at the line of scrimmage, taking his time and undressing the look that he's he's getting. Now, if if you go up tempo and you do that from the shotgun, um you're really going to uh, see those looks um, because it's more, it tends to be more simple. Uh, there's a wide field of vision. Um, 
it's more of a comfort level thing. But under centre, Russ, he, uh, you know, the run game's more preferable, but he can't do as much of those things. Um, I don't know. I, I wish I had some film. but No, it's, it's, it's all right. I think if anyone who's watched 10 years of Russ can kind of get a gist for what you're describing here. Like the boomer bust thing has been very apparent. What Chris, I feel like last year that was all it was until Rashad Penny got hot. It was either we're going to either Tyler Lockett scores on a 60 yard bomb every time or, or here comes Michael Dixon. <laughs> that that was it. There was, there was no middle there for a long time. And Shane would even tell us, he was like, we got to sustain some drives, man. Yeah. Like well, it's three and out, tough three, out, out here. three and out. The, be- the best part of all of this, right. Is I think there's, there's some like borderline conspiracy theories. Although you have done reporting on the on the topic, which is just there is some smoke there, but like the Pete Carroll medals in the offense and it prevented, uh, for instance, Shane Waldron doing what he wanted to do. Well, like that we've seen Russ for ten years in Seattle, right? There is probably a reason why every offense has a very similar appearance to it at its best and at its worst. It's right. because Russell Wilson's the quarterback, which comes back to what I was saying of. Pete Carroll, I believe, is ju- was just trying to do what Russell Wilson was good at. Now, he may have had a marketing problem in the sense that he didn't find a way like Green Bay did or has kind of done with Aaron Rodgers again. Hey, uh, we need to run the ball here. Like, we don't <laughs> tell you that, but we're going to run the ball a bit more. <laughs> we all good? Yeah. They didn't, they didn't find a way to do that, I don't think. Or I guess it could just be, you know, they'd been together 10 years. Russ saw an opportunity. He's probably sick of hearing the same messaging. I imagine, like, Pete Carroll still tells the rookies, like, it's all about the ball. And that is his big thing, right? But I imagine that story is the same every single year. Yeah. I know, like, mem- like, past members of the team have said similar things of, like, how the messaging does great with Pete's optimism and stuff. But um, I but in Denver, like, I, I, I do think it they'll have to do very similar stuff. There's no way. Or it's, I think... You know, they, they let Russ cook and then they encounter similar issues. I, I always thought the problem with the, the let Russ cook thing in 2020 was, yeah, team started playing them a bit better and defending them better. But Seattle just couldn't get the run game going. And I think, in my opinion, from, from the outside, it looked like Pete Carroll was probably like, you just need to keep going with the run game and make, get it to work. And Shotty was like, who I, I was a big fan of, he, he was just sat there like, well, it's not working and we, you know, we we can't do anything. And they just, yeah. And I think they're probably philosophical differences was Pete probably wanted to go more back to really trying to get the run game going to, to have that protective layer for Russell for the lack of intermediate. And I imagine Schottenheimer was, was, um, was like, well, we were cooking at the first half of the year. <laughs> so I, I can see a lot of sides. That's, but that's the thing. I, I try and keep an open mind and, so, although you two dastardly individuals forced me into being um, <laughs> t- team Pete, I can see every every opinion on this. Um, but as a coach, I'm I'm also biased towards, you know, I don't really know what Pete, uh, you know, what you'd do differently. Um, I'm ex- the one thing I've wondered about was I mentioned Aaron Rodgers. I did wonder if they'd you know try and do some of that RPO stuff that um. Which is wow, wow RPOs. Have you heard of those guys? They're they're quite cool. <laughs> um, everyone talks about that. But um, you know the way that Rogers was sort of brought into the run game idea from the outside again was seems like they have an attached throw on a lot of their running concepts to Devontae Adams. 
But then you can't really do that in Seattle because Aaron Rodgers is, is a very different quarterback to Russell Wilson. I'm not sure Russell Wilson's strength necessarily was throwing those sort of touch passes at, at those like short behind the line of scrimmage angles and that sort of thing. But then uh, two, Seattle doesn't have Devontae Adams. Yeah, Ty Lockett's great, but he's not that kind of skill set. Yeah, DK Metcalf's great, but he's not quite that level of skill set. Adams is a unicorn just in the same way that uh, a Metcalf and a Lockett are unique uh, skill sets, you know? So We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com. Yeah, I don't, I don't know where you want to take that. Uh, I can see why your coaching bias and your DB coach bias in particular leads you to Pete, but also, yeah, like we and Chris said, it makes sense. It does. <laughs> it we'll, does. Well, we'll, we'll all see. Maybe we should have you back on after week one. Our week one episode is going to just be fire when it's <laughs> over, too. Like, uh, it's well, just, that, the world's going to burn down one way or the other. That'll be fun because it'll be Russell. That's the best thing, right? 2022, we get to find out so much stuff. We get to find yes. out, is this is Waldron's offense going to look very different? I think it will be. I think it'll be more under center to protect his quarterbacks. I think it'll be more tight splits because, uh, again, that doesn't really suit what Russell is um, good at. for like, But it does suit these quarterbacks. I think it'll be probably running the ball more. But also with Russell, how different is Hackett going to be uh, are they are they going to come out slinging it even if Seattle's intent on playing a lot of like probably too high coverage right and and like uh, match up like quarter quarter half stuff which Russell's had real issues with um, in in his past two seasons really so we we get to find out um, and I, I look forward to it and if I'm wrong then I'm wrong <laughs> yeah that's kind of where Pete is probably too is like okay guys just watch week one we're gonna cover we're gonna too high to hell out them Broncos. <laughs> 
what, 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 wouldn't it be funny if they just hand the ball off 50 times and just run all over Seattle though? Oh my Wouldn't god, that would be funny too. I that mean, would... honestly, with their this is I sounded like a Pete apologist. Like honestly, with their personnel, I probably would. Like Javante was really good. So was Melvin Gordon. Yeah. You know, I gave him twenty a piece. I would test out, you know, Seattle's linebackers, Seattle's front. You know, I'd make Jordan, it's gonna be Jordan a screens, and Cody though. have to uh, <laughs> figure. Oh my god, yo! If the Broncos are bad at screens too, that'll be like one of them like low key things we kind of solved too. Because that was all the questions I got last year. It was like, Mike, how are we so bad at defending screens? And yeah. running screens, like, it was, like how are we bad at both. Now I know the answers, but that was it was hard to answer in real time. But we'll 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 see on that. Uh, I want to want to move off of Russ because he don't play here no more. Um, oh, and, yeah, <laughs> finally, and, oh. And, and talk about some of these core guys that the Seahawks are hoping you know it are the future and that lead them to a winning season, right? Because the Seahawks have no interest in tanking. I can say that confidently from top down, Jody Allen down to the dude who mops the floors. Nobody in there wants to wants to tank. So let's talk about the draft class. Um, uh, let's start with 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 Abe and Abe Lucas and, and Charles Cross. You know, if those guys, let's say they are, boom, those are the the, the rookie tackles uh, for or the starting tackles for the Seahawks twenty twenty two. Based on the film you watched them both, uh, wh- where are you at if that's the case in twenty twenty two? I mean, nice. The, the the offensive line. I'm a bit concerned in the sense that you know last season was tough. Uh, at the start because there's a lack of continuity and that showed up with the you know in the, especially in the run game but also handling stunts in pass pro but the run game is especially important in 2022 uh, in order to provide that, a layer of protection for what we expect to be shakier quarterback play right um, and so it kind of has to hit the ground running and I don't think it can because I just don't think you can get enough reps in um, so that, yeah but in terms of the tackle pairing, their their potential for both is is amazing. Like, like Cross, you know, I think everyone said it, but best pass protector in the draft, um, unbelievable uh, reactionary athleticism. Again, my, my my pal Griffin, he said how he could guard a Kyrie Irving crossover. Uh, Mike, you you might Ooh, have your work cut out if you're a, taking him good. on in there. Yeah, that's why I keep saying it. Yeah, you you might have your work cut out, Mike, if um. If you have to play him in basketball, oh, I get by Cross. I get yeah. by. I get yeah, by. Him. Easy. I get... Yeah. Chris, I don't. Chris is lightning fast, so <laughs> I know Chris will get by him. There we go. Um, but yeah, uh, and just um, like you, you think he could be a bookend tackle, and I think the run blocking stuff is overblown. Like he was recruited, as uh, Brandon Thorne uh, pointed out, to play in a run blocking system. He just uh, didn't play in his. You know, I think he redshirted his first year. No, he he played a few games and then redshirted. That was when you could yeah, play like yeah, four, up games. to four games, but then they redshirted them before yeah. Mike Leach got there. Yeah, yeah. And then everyone gets fired, but he he'd been doing some run blocking. You know, Leach comes in and the air raid. They don't run it that often, but the footwork is quite similar in terms of the run blocking to what Seattle will ask of him on their core run play, like mid zone, where um the play side tackle kicks out the the end. Well, that's the same kind of um bucket kind of footwork as what um. You know, Leach would have would have coached. So, I, I, yeah, I mean, he'll have to adapt to NFL speed like any rookie. But I mean, that sounds awesome. Like, he, and then Lucas, I I, I was, um, you know, sometimes I like tonight. I uh, uh, almost one a.m. I have lots of coffee, um, <laughs> and then I'm I'm struggling to sleep. So at four a.m. I'd be doing the like mock sims, and Lucas, I'd always be like, oh, I've got to take him. Like shaking because of the caffeine. I've got to take him in the second round, right? Because he's not going to be there in the third round. Uh, and all of all of the mock sims that he was going in the second round, right? 
Now, they all seem pretty... They did a pretty good job, fair play, fair play to those companies. But um, Luca's getting in the third round. I was immediately, you know, I, I did a live um, show on on my YouTube channel of, uh, you know, before the pick and like saying, what would we do here? And I was like, you got to do Lucas. It makes sense because one, he, he uh, these aren't official athletic prototypes, but he ticked all of the boxes in terms of like long arms, really fast, agile enough, um, speedy, um, you know, tick, 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 height as well. <laughs> he, he, he was, Everything, and he was the only, uh, and he and then he played right tackle for so many starts. Um, so it, it just just made too much sense, right? It really did, and I was slightly surprised he didn't go sooner. Now, I I didn't actually really like his film that much. Um, I need to watch more of him. Uh, don't want to upset you, Mike. You know, you're what wazoo guy, but um, <laughs> yeah. Just watch the Apple Cup. That's it. That's the only okay. film you need. There you go. Uh, you see, I haven't watched that yet. Or there watch him against Oregon. He did a really good job against Thibodeau. Uh, I don't know. I think we lost that game. Though, we, so the Cougs did lose, but he, he held his own against Thibodeau. That, that's yeah. fair. Andy Dickerson, him, the O-line coach, did specifically mention watching Abe in the Washington game, by the way, on Tuesday. There it is. He okay. did specifically mm-hmm. mention that. I didn't even jump in and rub it in. I just let it rock. I just let it rock. <laughs> I'm, mature. Let I'm mature sometimes. I let that one rock. <laughs> My thing with him is I didn't. he didn't and it's not really his fault either, so maybe I'm being a bit harsh, but he didn't really have that much nasty in his game. Um, but then they, again, I mean, they weren't air raid. They were run and shoot, right? But um, they were air raid once upon a time. But they didn't run block that often. But also, there's there were certain plays where I was like, you are so big and clearly explosive, like on film, not just testing-wise. Just knock someone over. And I didn't quite see that. But, you know, so in terms of him... I think the run blocking side of it might be more of a, you know, it takes a bit longer to acclimatize. Nice. Exciting right tackle battle because you've got Curhan and you've got um, uh, Stone Forsyth, maybe he played there in college first two years a bit, battling it out for that spot. But yeah, the, the upside of this offensive line, the potential is very exciting to me. And yeah, this, uh, it could be a real solid line for quite a few years and you can keep adding to it because you've got assets and yeah. Don't okay. don't tell pro football focus that though. That's... Oh, they think otherwise? Oh, oh have you man. seen that? I think the well, PFF had him 32, right? PFF. Yeah. Yeah. I so... think, I mean, I haven't read the article, but I'd imagine that's because they're rookies. So there's like an unknown. Yeah. They, they don't yeah. have the data on them because they're rookies, right? And I, I don't Which, think they're a big enough. fan of Austin Blythe either. Um, no, PF, PFF's not been kind to Damian Lewis as a pass protector. I don't think through two years. No, um, yeah, as he, well. Yeah. So they, I think they also said that J, Gabe Gabe Jackson's kind of declining. Um, the the line in there that really sticks out is uh, I forget who wrote the PFF thing, but they were just like the Seahawks don't have a a, a reliable starter. I was just like, oof, mm. burn. Yeah, I'm not sure I about do, that, but yeah, I don't know about that either. So, it, but. I feel like PFF's never it, liked the Seahawks offensive line. Is Lewis playing fair. on the left or the right this year? Do, do we know that yet? From left to right, I imagine the starting offensive line will be Charles Cross, Damian Lewis, Austin Blythe, Gabe Jackson, and I would guess Jake Curran, um, just because I think that his yeah. experience will help win out. But yeah, either Jake Curran, like you said, Stone Forsyth, or uh, Abe Lucas go Cougs. One of those three. And I can see why PFF, based on just like what we know about those dudes, 
does it isn't like super high. 32 seems pretty low though, because I feel like whatever Carolina's doing is probably bad too. <laughs> Their quarterbacks are getting killed uh, up there as well. So I don't know. We'll we'll see. We'll, yeah, we'll Le- see indeed. Lewis having to switch from the right side to the left, that's tough. Like I feel like that gets downplayed. Um, you know, how difficult that is, even though he had some experience there. Anyway. No, no worries. I do want to spin it and look at the defensive side of things because the Seahawks took a pair of corners and Kobe Bryant and Tariq Woolen. And I want to get what stood out with Kobe on tape and then what stood out with Tariq. I mean, obviously, I watched your dope piece, your 20-minute video on Tariq Woolen. We can get into that later. But based on those two, what did you like on film and how those and how they worked out and how they got drafted by the Seahawks for the most part? Well, thank you very much. Firstly, kind words. Um, yeah, so let's start with Kobe. Um, I very exciting uh, watching him because, you know, I'd watched uh, Source Gardner with maybe thing in Seattle. He'd fall to Seattle. Is is he that good? And then Source had a great game against Alabama, right? Like the best competition you can you can face. But then I go and rewatch it for Kobe, and I'm like, damn, like Kobe's like <laughs> he's playing really really good against these guys. I mean, certain charting companies may say he gave up a catch because it's like underneath. But if I was like grading him as a coach, I'd say he like he didn't give up a catch. Like mm. he he really impressive and a lot of press work. And he presses in a, a very similar style to how Seattle coaches like Cincinnati. I, I believe he said this in his um his when he got drafted his press conference as well. The Cincinnati Cincinnati uses a similar kind of step kick style. Um, the only thing different with him is his arms are a bit shorter. Um, he's kind of like a, this is so mean, that like coming from me, he sat behind a keyboard, but he's like a mediocre athlete, right? In the sense that he's just like an average athlete. But he's, just, he's a guy who can play ball. But because his arms are shorter in press, they sort of taught him to snatch with his outside arm uh, and play with just one arm sometimes and then flip to stay on top. But he was able to do that, which is difficult because if you're... If you're um, grabbing some of your outside arm and they're giving you an outside vertical release, your hips are locked for that transition. But he was able to, uh, for the outside release transition, but he's able to unlock his hips and then turn and run with dudes and stay over the top. He's also like, you know, like I said, mentioned his athletic testing not being great. Well, one, it was nice that he wasn't, he wasn't injured um, during camp. Like he clearly hadn't hyper-specialized on combine uh, training and then, you know, not got into a position where he's out of football shape and, but two, also, uh, he was never beat, like, deep. Like, so he clearly has enough speed, at, at least at the college level, at least against right. the Alabama guys who can burn, to, to, to hold on. Like, he, he's in phase. And the other thing, and I'd, I'd love to hear, um, Mike, what you've seen at practices and stuff, but he, and his ball, I know his ball skills were showing up, but for me, on, on the tape, he got his hands on the football a few times. But the big thing for me was he understood when the ball was coming out. Kind of like, oh, I don't want to uh, overhype it, but kind of like Richard Sherman, you know, he understands the root concept. Well, like Kobe, uh, he understands like, well, the ball's going to come out now. So I'm not going to keep running across the field. I'm going to jump this route. Like, you know, that kind of thing. Um I my pacing here. I don't need to keep getting depth. I can sit here. You can eat up my cushion, but I know the ball's coming out, so I'm going to jump your curl route. You're not running deep. I I know that. So very impressive. Um, and you know, thinking about how, what coverages the Seahawks are going to run this year, uh, probably going to continue their usage of um, 
high middle field open rates. But if their corners can hang, they might run more like cover one, middle field close stuff than, than I think a lot of us expect. But um, yeah, Kobe can do a lot of different techniques is what I'm saying. And, and, and he's just a baller. And he, like year one, I think he's pushing for, um, and this is, again, Mike, you've, you've watched the practices and stuff, but I think he's pushing for like playing time, a bit like how Trey Brown did the last camp. Um, like he starts impressing, he's competing out there, and then it's it's between him and like. Well, I don't know what side he's been working on. I don't know. A little bit that. of both. He's been like at the times he's gotten some time with the ones, he's been on the right side, but usually with the twos, he's been on the left. So they're training him, mm, training him at both. That is interesting. Well, because it's it's interesting how they play all that, isn't it? Because it's like, RT Burns is is kind of a an unknown in the sense you know he's a newcomer but he's playing on the right right and mm-hmm. but then Sidney Jones like he had a good year last year but is he going to be able to sustain that so working Kobe at both especially if he's what I'd expect I'd expect him to be ahead of Willen at this stage and ready to come in and, and get playing time if needed um so yeah working him at both makes sense but it, exciting and then the ceiling yeah the ceiling is like you know year three outlook you're like well He's not athletic. Well, we know that, like, but at a certain point, if a guy can play, he can play. He's not a terrible athlete. He's just not the quickest or the fastest or the longest or the strongest. But he's not like tiny and he's not like running in molasses, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, he's a good athlete, man. The Jim Thorpe Award winner, I think, is a good athlete every year in college football. Right. So even if they're not like an excellent one like Tariq. The the other thing as well, which will be interesting, is like Cincinnati, they played him out to the field all the time, right? So the wide side of the field where all that room is, which is a tough assignment, um, especially against the Alabamas where they can actually access that, you know, the quarterbacks can throw that sort of stuff. But um, in the NFL, a bit like Trey Brown. Trey Brown comes in, he's been thrown at so often at Oklahoma because it's the Big 12, right? Kobe Bryant comes in, he's been thrown at so often because he's playing opposite Source Gardner and he's to the wide side of the field, right? In the NFL, he will he will have way less targeted reps. And so he only needs to be really good at those targeted reps, right? At a certain point, if you're going to get targeted all the, all the time, right, you're going to give up something. <laughs> you, it's just natural. But if you only have a smaller amount of reps, then you can really hone in on those ones. So that that's an interesting element to the pros for a guy like him. And then what about Tariq? What did you see on film that you liked about Tariq Woolen? Well, it's obvious that he's a very athletically gifted man, right? <laughs> I mean, oh my word. Um, uh, he's blessed, right? And I I think, uh, as I said in my video, the, co- the coaching staff, um, at, uh, Yutsa, so is that Texas San Antonio? The Roadrunners. They, yeah, they yeah, taught... yeah, he's UTSA, yeah. Yeah, but it is Texas San Antonio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Texas San Antonio, yep, yep. So, they, they, I think they, the, the, the press technique style they taught him was largely um, based on him, you know, assuming that he could sort of run with guys and keep in phase with guys if they ran around him because he was pitching his tent to the inside um, and then stepping with his inside foot as his read foot which basically he was three steps behind on an outside release vertical route, um, and it was hard for him to get his length on there, right? Yeah. So that's fine. I understand that as a coaching staff, why they're doing that, because he was really fast and he could do that, and it's in the 
uh, was it Conference USA? I think they are in. Yeah. But yep. the level of competition is not that good. Now, when they play against Bailey Zappi um, and uh, Western Kentucky, uh, I think, yeah. Yeah, w- that sounds w- right. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, suddenly that gets a bit more, eh, I don't think you can really do this all the time, especially middle field close. You cannot be doing this. And then you go to the senior bowl and like Velas Jones is like running around him. And it's like, yeah, you can't, you just can't do this. He, so not his fault, but on the note, on a positive note, really exciting to see, hey, you know what? What can he do with Pete Carroll's step kick? How can, like, and the Seahawks coaching staff, coaches, I, I reckon, it's, they always talk themselves into things, right? Like, I can fix this guy. Yep. Well, all the time. All the time. Right. You know it. Yeah. So I think you look at him and you're like, well, if we can teach you to read step with your outside foot, that's your first step, six inch step, uh, lateral or slightly backwards, wait for the receiver to declare, but you're protecting the outside release, the vertical route, and then play two to one to none with your really long arms. Well, then, then we're talking like now we're unlocking your full potential at the NFL level. Right. But, that will take some time, right? Yeah. And it's not a guarantee. So in year one, I don't necessarily think he is uh, playing, you know, defensive snaps. However, if he's not on special teams, like if he's not, if he's a game day inactive, or yeah, if he's a game day inactive, I'd I'd start to get worried, like because in terms of there's intangibles which go into getting better as a player, right? Like and it, and if athletically gifted, I imagine it would be easy. And I'm not saying that he's like this, but I imagine it would be easy to get um, uh, complacent and and lack grit. Right? Um, you'd probably be in a, a situation where you've always been the fastest, the strongest. And how do you then unlock the the wish to get better at, at the when in the NFL? Like, it's, how do you switch it back on? I'm not saying that's what's happened to him, but if he's not playing on special teams then that tells me he doesn't have the the intangibles, the desire to, to make it. Now, he with his uh, uh, athletic gifts, um, he will always get a second chance, right? But, but you know, um, Obi Melifonru, he was a really athletic, long uh, DB guy who just didn't quite make it in the league because he just he couldn't, couldn't learn the techniques required. For whatever reason, I'm not privy to that information. But he couldn't learn the techniques to hang, and and that was that. Okay, now same thing with um, same thing with Tariq. Like if he has the the the, the mental uh, uh, grit, right? <laughs> Corny word, but grit. To, <laughs> it's to a coaching around. word for sure. It's You're definitely using coach word, speak yeah. right now. Yeah. If he has the grit to stick around, then we'll see that show up um, as, as like if you if you're a fan of the team, you'll see it show up because he'll be get active and he'll be starting on the special teams. And he'll be getting all the special team snaps and he'll just be a mismatch on special teams. Mm. I'm curious. You mentioned he probably won't be a starter with the Seahawks this year, but what would he need to improve on to become a Seahawks starter this year at cornerback? Well, he'd he'd need to be a very quick learner and mm. he'd need to need to show that he can play press. Um, he'd need to show he can tempo he can play with more than like two speeds when he's playing press bail. Um, he'd need to show that he can, he'd need to show just a lot of like technique uh, improvement and, and uh, tools, right? Like uh, maybe he hasn't been taught some of this stuff either. So yeah. No, that's fair. That's, you know, that's, I would definitely agree with that. And then let's just stick with the cornerback room in general. How are you feeling about this room right now in totality? 
Mm. So I was uh, disappointed that they didn't uh, keep around DJ Reed. Now he got oh. paid, like yeah. for, considering his injury history um, and his lack of availability, like, you know, he did get a significant amount of money, which he earned, like he, good for him. Um, good for him because he, he, but he was really good. Um, really, really good. And he kind of worked with what coverages they were doing really nicely. And there was like a chemistry of Jamal Adams that I was a big fan of as well. Um, and it's it's like every year it feels like they're building from the ground up to an extent at corner. Like, oh, well, we don't pay Shaquille Griffin. Oh, we don't pay DJ Reed. Oh, now, now, <laughs> now what? Um, Sidney Jones, I felt, came on really well down the back half of last year. He was also helped by the transition to more middle field open coverages. So, which that's not a knock on him. Like, there it was a very valid way of defending offenses, but it's just a fact, right? Yeah. Um, but it, if they're wanting to run more, uh, like middle field closed, because slight tangent, if you're playing these like bare fronts and base downs to be able to get pressure, um, it's quite hard to do in the odd spaced front, like because it's just a tight interior three. And then there's two wide guys down on the line of scrimmage either side. So, so this is like the 3-4 you're talking about. Yeah, the 3-4 look, yeah. It's quite hard to do it um, unless you send all five. But to send all five, the easiest way to do that is to play tight coverage on the back end. And if you're sending five, the only way to do that really is to play cover one. So middle field close where the corners are on an island, right? So if we see Seattle being able to do more of that, that's because they like the cornerback group. Now, an example of this, 3-4 example, is Fangio in, in uh, Denver last year. He ran a lot more cover one for that reason because he trusted his corners and it enabled him to unlock his base uh, front bear 3-4 pass rush at the same time. So if we look at um, like a Sidney Jones, I'm, I'm, I don't know about him in cover one. I, I don't enough, but we'll, we'll see. Right? But in terms of the middle field close stuff, there shouldn't be any regression. Sorry, the middle field open stuff like the cover twos, the cover fours the half quarter quarter the matchup zone like you know this looks like Vic Fangio stuff I think his progress should continue there Trey Brown that's a really tough injury right really really tough injury to come back from looking the same type of player um I, I really hope he can like that's tough um but he he looked great as well so there's there's um there's a floor which is a bit scary but there's also uh best case scenario ceiling where you're like ah, that's all right and Artie uh, Burns like I mean he he has an uh, an amazing um you know uh, athletic gifts as well right he, he he's he's long and fast um and you know them getting in the system letting him play press letting him mix up his coverages a bit that could work out really well yeah. uh we haven't had anything like uh Kello Witherspoon last year have we where his uh <laughs> His technique's been uh, criticized yet, so... That was so weird. <laughs> so well, weird. What was weird about that to me was um, he'd always played in, like, a kind of finesse style, right? Like, he didn't put his hands on guys. He was, like, inching off the line of scrimmage, like, soft shoe kind of guy. He wasn't uh, stepping in there, putting two hands on dudes. And so when he got to Seattle, did they think they could just tell him <laughs> after so many years playing football, hey, we're going to do it this way or... or, or or you, we're getting rid of you. I, I don't know. I don't know what they expected. Um, 
But I guess they expected with you the latter. They expected him to come in and do what he's told, and he'll have a roster spot. And if not, we'll ship you out, which they did. <laughs> yeah. And then he went in and had a good year in Pittsburgh. <laughs> hey, you know, hey, yeah. it, it didn't work out for the Seahawks the way they thought it would. That way they thought it would. But I know Pete Carroll is looking at this offense, and he's thinking he can make it work with Drew or Geno. One of these guys is going to get the job done. Drew has openly said that footwork is something that he needs to work on and taking care of the football as well. If he does both of those things, what do you think is Drew ceiling in the NFL? Um, well, in theory, if he, if he does, because those are pretty big things to do. Right? <laughs> those are key. Those are very big, yes. <laughs> well, Put him in the Hall of Fame. No. Um, <laughs> but, like, he could make a Pro Bowl if he can do those oh, wow. things. Okay. Okay. But the the problem is I don't think, like, I think we've probably seen what he is. Um, now, if he's protected with a running game and an effective defense, um, then the outlook's going to be better because it you can really, uh, there's not as big a sample size for him to mess up, basically. Um <laughs> You can't mess this just, up. <laughs> surely not. Um, and he can make the simple throws, right? Um, and any he has an incredible arm talent. I just think it was interesting actually hearing um, him, other coaches as well, say about how them supporting him and being like supportive here and, and all rallying around him was like a big deal to him compared to what he'd experienced in Denver. And it's like, that is nice. Like, that's really good. But also... If he's now playing and then he throws a pick and like you know someone's like oh you you trash like, then what happens I, I don't know I, but yeah the different approach for him is going to be really interesting I can't wait to watch this quarterback battle in preseason um, and and keep hearing storylines from guys like self Mike um, about you know who's doing well in practice and camp because they they both have like real obvious strengths. Um, and they both have question marks, which at this stage, they're not scary. They're like, they're interested. It's like, ah, that's cool. That's, that's new. That's not like, that's, not, that's different to what we've had the last 10 years. We can, we've got something else to talk about and something else to watch for. And I mean, yeah, Locke was really good in, in 2020 uh, under center play action, right? You just, uh, on early downs, I'd say as well. And um, it's it, to me, it's more about, this is stupid because it's obvious. It's an obvious statement, but to me, it's it's more about do they have the stuff to carry them to where they don't have to be the guy? Because, and because I don't think you'll find out if they are the guy without having the stuff to carry them to the point where they're giving the opportunity to be the guy. Does, does that make sense? That uh, I get what you're saying. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But so I think Pete's thing is kind of like designing it so they don't have to be the guy. We'll run Which it. Is- We'll th- we'll throw play action. Be a manager. That stuff is not even that even beyond the game manager thing. Yeah, that too. It's just like when when you do throw it, it'll be in advantageous situations. In theory, that is Pete's design. Mm-hmm. Even though football, as as all of us here knows, don't always go how you plan because the team gets paid too. <laughs> so I'm more I'm like more concerned about as I've said uh, earlier in the show. You know, is the run game going to be like this? Regression is inevitable in that area. Um, he can't be that good again as it was. That was like, as I said, historically efficient. But is the run game going to be good enough, or is it going to be you know like run stuffed? And then it's like, oh, we've got 
next thing you know, you've got you know, Drew Locke in a third and forever. I mean, because that, that's going to be a problem. But I do think, you know, if the run game's good, um, I think the defense is going to be good. I'm, I'm quite bullish on the defense. Um, then I think it's going to be like a kind of, like with Goff, Goff with the Rams and McVeigh, right? They were under center, running the ball and play action. If they got into third down, they'd get into the gun and basically tell him, uh, Goff, that is, you throw this route, you know, you, you get up to the line quickly, throw this route, um, keep it quite simple and, and, you know, so. And they had the protection, though, for him to throw that route. They did. Well, I, I, as I said, I think the, I think the pass pro is going to be good. I, I, I think the defensive line is going to be good. That if I had, you know, if I had to call it bad or good, I think, I think it, I'd certainly wouldn't call it 32nd in the league. So we'll see if I'm okay with that. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the that's the thought Seattle had. Not I think I do know that's the thought that they have. Like, look, man, maybe not they're not putting this year on it, but that's kind of how I make it simplify it when I tell people if we can get 2018 Jared Goff out of one of these guys, we'll be I. You know, that's the that's that's ambitious. And and I'm sure Waldron and Andy uh, Dickerson, I'm sure they have that confidence, right? Because they've done it. Right. Yep. They've yeah. done. They've been there. That they'll be doing a similar kind of idea for that. So. Yeah, and that team—that's the one that went to the Super, Super Bowl. Bowl. They only scored three points in the Super Bowl, but they got there. Yeah. All right, and they were able to. I mean, that was the year that they had Todd Gurley running through the world. Then his knee just goes to hell, and they just bring in C.J. Anderson off his goddamn couch, and then he just runs through the playoffs too. Yeah. Like it was—it was clearly because the system. The, the the big thing about last year for Seattle. As um, as Penny talked about in his press conference, just volunteered it out of out of nowhere. Was the mid zone like mid zone run game? They found a core run. Now that's big because the Rams in twenty eighteen they had a core run, which was mid zone, and that was their thing. Like banging the table on that, and they just you know you can dress it up in different ways. You can you can do different things, but the core play is mid zone, and they were really good at it getting wash creating huge cutback lanes like penny was amazing last year but the the run blocking was uh, brilliant but again that requires gelling up front and chemistry to everyone to be on the same page and that takes time and reps so we'll see um yeah do you want well, now let's go to the guy who's going to win me a hundred dollars yeah um, and, and, and gino smith here what do, in those three starts now they had last year against the Steelers Saints um and the who's oh the Jaguars as well. We could even throw in the time he came in for the for Russ and the Rams game too, which is probably the best he actually looked. Uh it in that time, what did you like and dislike from Geno Smith? Well, I liked a lot. Um and also you have a you have to acknowledge there's an element of exposure bias, right? Because he's quite stylistically different to Russell. Um and so seeing that kind of difference was somewhat refreshing right because you've had so much years of russell um and his uh brilliant at most of the time improvisation but with gino he will sit in the pocket and he'll read out concepts and he'll he'll read a lot of the times um like the waldron mcveigh stuff they attach like a, a dig root on the on the back side of a concept so front side there's something and then back side there's like a like a dig right over the middle and Gino would 
read that out and hit it as he did in the preseason. Um, his game against uh, Jacksonville um, was against an awful defense, and they were like messing up so many like things which you shouldn't. I don't know how that happens in the NFL to be honest. Like, <laughs> it's the Jaguars. That's how Urban Myers yeah. Jaguars. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you get fired, so that's what happens. But um, they uh. Yeah, but he made so many tight window throws in that game with pure confidence, and you could really see he had clicked with both Lockett and Metcalf. Now, because the offense we saw of Geno, that was still basically, you can only do so much when your starting quarterback goes down. You can try and do things that that quarterback is better at, but you can't completely rewrite the playbook. Not that they'll be doing that this offseason, but you can't really change as drastically as you'd like, right? Um, Mid-season. Um, and so Gino, like though, so while, while the roots, like if you look at his heat map and, and where the root distribution was, while the roots weren't as over the middle as perhaps that you'd expect, right? Gino targeted a lot more over the middle. Like there's little red blotches, despite if on the past, uh, uh target, uh, the, the roots run heat map, sorry, there being blue blotches where he made turn that red. So that is, um, telling to me. And, and I, I think, he, despite the fact, is unfortunate because against one, a few unfortunate things here. One, Russell came back too soon by his own admission, basically, uh, four weeks too early. And I think Gino goes into Green Bay and actually, well, I think they score a, like, a point <laughs> or three, maybe. No, I think they score a, few, like, a touchdown or two. And then the defense suddenly is playing with an actual offense, right? Rather than Russell having to go in the pistol and, and, and which... I don't have anything against pistol formations, but they had to like completely change their offense for a guy who couldn't throw a ball properly. But anyway, that's in the past. But it was a shame we didn't get to see Gino a bit more, right? That that's the first unfortunate thing. Um, the the second unfortunate thing was his. Um, he I think he there's a perception of him that he's not like he's he's not clutch. Like, do you have faith in him to go out and win the game at the end of the end of the game, right? Like, because with Russell. We've been kind of blessed with that because he'd all you always like ah Russell's got it he'll 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 go and win this game with Gino there's that unknown but there's also the fact that you know he he fade, faded out of a starting role in the NFL as a quarterback so you know you, you're just not sure about him and it was a shame that against the Rams right he threw a, I was like wow he's he's throwing over the middle like this is a, this is a great throw and then lock it. Uh, got tripped or slipped or something and it was picked off but it was the right it was a brilliant throw um shows it's a bit risky to pass over the middle but um yeah just about unlucky because i felt that when he came into that game i was like okay here we go now the steelers game was just a really tough like i think they tried to do like spread stuff where it just didn't it didn't quite work um it was trying to uh, adapt to gino but as I said, you can only do so much, and it just didn't really work. And the Steelers are really good defense. Like the problem in that game was that Seattle couldn't run the ball um, as well as they'd like at the start, and then they found a running game during the game, and they almost did it. But unfortunately, Gino um, fumbled the ball. Yeah, but, he got strip sacked by TJ Watt. But, yeah, but at this point, I should say the offensive line for Russell too, because. I can already see it, people going in my mentions. Um, <laughs> you hate Russell Wilson. I don't hate Russell Wilson. Um, caveat. Um, 
but the offensive line was banged up last year and then pass pro was poor like the, there was a stretch like middle of the season kind of where it weren't great um and against pittsburgh that's tough um so G- I, I think I think Gino probably wins the job because I think, yeah, there we go. Yeah, sorry. $100 for me, baby. Um, good. $100 for me. Has anyone picked Drew winning it? Yes. Oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. Sheesh. It's, it's okay, man. It's all right. But because Gino is that reliable guy, he knows the system and he ain't going to mess up. It, despite the things I've just said about the, the two down the stretch moments where it's like, ah, nearly. I, I think he knows the system. He isn't going to mess up. And I think there's a chemistry now with the two dudes who'll win him the job, which is Lockett and Metcalf. Um, mm, it's all good. So you can't you can't win everything. I get you it. don't have no, to have me on again, Chris. It's fine. It, yes, we're gonna no, have to most definitely. No, no. It, well, yes, because he's picking picking Gino. I think I, he's laying out a lot of the reasons why I think he's gonna win. I've said it on the show. I said it on the radio. Like I just think blah, he's blah, gonna win. Blah, I don't really blah, care blah, if Drew. Blah. I don't really care that much if you know Drew wins it. I just hope they win some games, man. They hope they don't stink next year because I would. Also, have you have you like, seen the never. pictures out of camp? Uh, G- Gino is like dialed in serious now. Drew Lock is a happy-go-lucky kind of dude, right? But I don't know. Gino, Gino looks like he's ready to win this, whereas... He's locked in. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I'm not being real serious here. Like, I'm not a body language expert, you know? The, the only thing that's really looked... Not the only thing. One of the things that has helped um, Drew in camp, and I could tell... I knew it when I asked it. I just couldn't have confirmed it. I was like, there's... Him and Cody Thompson have to know each other. Because, like, he's hitting Cody Thompson mm. on some tough stuff. Like, I can tell when the ball's going to Cody before it snaps. Because I'm just like, I see Drew look at Cody. Cody look back. And I'm just like, yo. Connection. Here comes a touchdown. And then he'll throw it. And I'm like, okay. Are these – I'm looking. Do they go to school together? Do they know each other? Do their girlfriends and our wives, like, friends? I'm like, how? And then I asked Drew about it. And he's like, oh, no, I worked out with him in the summer and some other guys. I'm like, see? I knew, I, I knew it was something because – the, I, I can just tell chemistry, even in camp. I'm like, I can tell when I just see with Russ and Tyler all the time in camp. They would hit these routes in camp, and I'd be like, these guys are friends. Like, you yeah. could just kind of, you could feel the love, for lack of a better term, there with Drew and Cody. It's already there. Now, G- DK could show up, and then it could look like that with Gino and DK, and then it's, none of this shit matters. But for now, until DK is here, true, think, yeah. Having, have being able to complete passes to, to dudes like that, That's you cute. know, from that, that matters, right? Like, because with Gino, there are guys, there's Aaron Fuller, there's Tyler, um, who else is Penny Hart, guys have been around, hell, even Cody. But like, if Drew can counter that with, like, hey man, I got this rapport with Noah Fant. I got this rapport with Colby Parkinson. I got this rapport with Cody. Hey, man, training camp, that will matter. That will bridge the gap, I think, a little bit. The fan thing's big. That, yeah. I, that's a really good point. The fan thing is big because the, 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 those kind of routes will true. become more of a part of the offense. Like, they kind of – and fans really good at, like, option routes um, in that intermediate area, right? The dreaded intermediate. Um, but, yeah, if, if Locke is, like, already in tune with Fant on that and then – He's hitting that in the preseason. That's um, and that seems like a reliable safety blanket, you know, high percentage kind of deal. Yeah, especially in the preseason games. Yeah, because I don't think like stock I coverage. I don't know how much Noah will play in those. That'd be interesting to see. Um, because he's what a year four guy, I think. I don't think he'll play a lot. Yeah. So, you, but, you, but, but you but you but you want to give your quarterbacks the you want to assess them fully 
yeah, the best you can. So that'll be interesting. I'll be interested to see how they play that with the O line as well. Like, how much do you play DK? How much do you play Tyler? And that, well, DK, so I get, but so I get the bag. I'm not playing. Yeah, DK's not playing anything. But like, I'd be asking for bonuses to play in preseason games. (laughs) Yeah, you know, these guys don't make it. They don't make shit in these preseason games. You know, it's not like a game check for them. Did I get game check? It's not no, it's not like because they're like you can you can tell a guy's base salary. Here's how you can tell how much a guy makes per game for the most part. Some guys have roster bonuses or whatever, but generally speaking, you take a guy's base salary. Let's say it's eighteen million dollars, something like that. It's a quarterback or something, or maybe a highly paid receiver, and you just divide that um, by the number of uh, weeks that there are in the year. It's like well, I guess it does eighteen now. 52. No, no, no. Sorry, not in the year, like the the season. Like, so usually before before the 17th game, it was like, all right, I can tell you how much Russ makes a game. Take his base salary divided by 17. That's how much he's making, right? Or um, uh, now it's, I think, just take the base salary divided by 18. Although now it gets really complicated. I'm saying 18 because it's a bye week, obviously, oh. um, instead of an 18th game. So you divide that because they get paid that week too. Um, now it's a little tricky because guys can choose to get paid over a 36-week period um, instead of an 18-week period. So it depends on how you just want to do that. But in general, like, yeah, take a guy's base salary divided by 18 and say, how much does he make a game? Well, that much. Preseason, that doesn't count. I think you like a few G's, I think, maybe. Like, it's not anything, you know. So if I would, if I was the guy trying to get the bag, the last place you catch me is a preseason game. And I'm out. So think of I'm DK, right? And I'm lined up against some safety who just got drafted in the fourth round, who's like trying to make the team. You don't do everything. Who's trying to do everything inhumanly possible to make this team? Like, nah, dog. For who, for what? Yeah, I ain't not here doing it. So we'll be interesting to see in the quarterback battle what tools they have to work with. You know, you got to play Charles. You probably got to play Damian. Probably have to play Abe. You should play Austin Blythe if he's going to be your center. Um, But like, what receivers do they get? How much does Will Disley play? You know, is this the time we see Colby Parkinson emerge? But if Colby's the one out there all the goddamn time in the preseason, what good is that when it's Will Disley taking all those reps in the regular season? So that'll be like a. I'll write about that. I should write that down. Last thing for me, man, it's on Jamal Adams. A little defense here. And Mike hinted at it off wax that we are, all three of us are pro Jamal Adams. We've seen the tape. We've watched the games. We've seen people talk about the mistakes he's making and then going back and watching the tape and like, huh, that's interesting. Jamal was in his spot. They're actually wrong there. If you were the defensive coordinator for the Seahawks, considering you are a D coordinator, let's say they say, you know what, Matt, we want to bring you to Seattle. Defensive coordinator. Hope you enjoy your time here. How do you maximize Jamal Adams this season? And I guess we know your thoughts on his coverage, but what are you looking forward to seeing him doing more of this season when it comes to covering tight ends, running backs, and sometimes receivers? No, it's a big moment for me. I'll pull up my resume. Here we go. go. Congrats on the promotion. Let's go, Pete. Um, Yeah, so I think what Seattle was doing – in 2020 combined with 2021, right? You, you you sort of mesh those two ideas together and you get what you should do with Jamal. So he's like the key. We, we talk about defensive disguise, right? He is a big, big key to defensive disguise in the sense that they're probably going to be, unless it's like a rundown, they're probably going to have a too high presentation to start with. Now, Pete Carroll... When he got to the NFL, he's always been he'd always been single high. But back at USC, they were always too high, doing the same thing. But with Jamal, because he's often going to be the backside safety, and he's in a lot of their coverages and their defenses, he's going to align to the boundary, so the short side of the field. Him being able to 
hold his depth? Is he playing a cover two? Is he playing a, a like aggressive, hard, like flat-footed quarter, like getting the, the dig to post window? Or is he coming down into a, a hook curl uh, in cover three? Um, or is he coming down into a, an outside underneath curl flat in cover three? Um, him being able to hold that disguise and then from that point play the run from there, um, from that point um, play his pass coverage from there, that's big because defenses, as Quante Diggs points out, they read the backside safety on a lot of plays. Um Oh, and he could also be coming down as a as a, in a, as a robber and uh, in cover one and, and being like picking roots off in the like low to mid hole of the defense. Now, as a blitzer, and I think a, a lot of people have said this, but I think Mike, you may have said this as well. I don't understand how him getting double teamed and get requiring special attention as a blitzer was a bad thing last year. Like, I don't really get why they weren't able to sort of use that to their advantage a bit more. They just sort of abandoned the plan. Um, my my thing is in 2021, uh, sorry, in 2020, def- uh, offenses were giving them formations that allowed them to up Jamal Adams' blitz rate. Um, so like they were getting into like under center stuff where like the bootleg is a threat, right? So Ken Norton Jr. was able to go, well, they're going to bootleg here. Um, and he was very good at it, like studying the, the, the tendencies. And he'd blitz Adams off the edge. Well, if an offense isn't giving you that look, then you can't do that with Jamal. So the blitz rate dips. Um, but then in like clear passing third downs and stuff, um, they kind of just dipped off from that. I think because they were trying to find like get him good at just being a safety, like coverage safety. Not that he wasn't, but like let him focus on that. Let the defense find a base around that and find their base, which was. Adams mainly being that disguised as a too high dude, right? Um, and that's what a safety does, really. But um, I think the, the difference this year will, will be they'll mix that in with um, packages to get Adams down to the line of scrimmage. Maybe Ryan Neal comes into the game and plays safety, and Adams plays almost like outside linebacker with five down at line of scrimmage in layman's terms, or like as an edge, right? Um Maybe Adams plays in the box because last year they had, um, when they went dime, Ryan Neal played basically as the weak side linebacker, like off the ball. Mm-hmm. So he had matching up with Alvin Kamara. He had... Um, uh, he drew like on, George Kittle sometimes and again, the Niners matched games. Matching up on the tight end. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe um, they switched that around and they put Jamal there and then he's in the box and he's a threat to blitz. The reason they didn't last year was because of the disguise part and Adams was the robber when when uh, Neil was on the tight end. But sort of mixing them up a bit more makes make sense to me. And then if Marquise okay. Blair is healthy, that's another yeah. option to to create free Adams up to play more closer to the box. But what I've just described is a guy who can do everything, right? Yeah. Like, that, that's a chess piece, which is why you can get into the value, but that's why they felt they wanted to give up that much because he can do everything. Yeah. He, he's a... He uh, and and well, like the only issue I had with him last year was he he was slowing off coverage, um in off man he had some bad reps, um like know, the Higby touchdown, uh, thinking that's what it was. Yeah, that was that was tough. That was yeah. tough. Um, that was so bad. Pete Carroll was like, yeah, nah, he he just got a he just got beat. Like Pete yeah. really doesn't even say stuff like that. He says we got beat or something like that. And he's like, I was a hundred. He, he, he was just like, nah, man, he's got to he's got to discard his guy. Like, but then on, the, the interesting thing there is, I believe in in New York, 
they they played him in a lot of press man situations and he was off there. So I don't know. It'll be interesting. Hopefully, the big thing for me is hopefully he can stay healthy. Yes. Because you, yeah. you worry about that sort of stuff, um, especially a shoulder. Like the Seahawks are a shoulder tackling team. Right. You need your shoulders. Everyone should be, but you need your shoulders to tackle. If you don't have your shoulders to tackle, then is it just going to be arms? And then if you're tackling with your arms, you're going to pull your pull your shoulder joint out anyway. So, yeah, hopefully he's healthy. The, yeah, the, the thing with the blitzing just really was to me all year too. And I had some people confirm this to me too at the end of the year. Like that was just an indictment on the coaching staff's abilities. It's almost like like the analogy I'll use. Let me see if I can make one up off the fly. It's almost like let's say. The three of us right now, we're in a fight with three other guys. Okay, right? let's but, go. But <laughs> but they're jumping Chris, right? Like two of them are on Chris. <laughs> All right. We should be fine. One of us just has to win a one-on-one matchup, and the other guy should have a free run to do whatever. Right? It's the same, it's a num- similar numbers game. We should we definitely shouldn't lose the fight. You know, like maybe Chris ain't handling the two dudes, but me and you, Maddie, should not lose. So we got yeah. our one-on-one matchups. We can't you know, let Chris down here. Exactly. We just can't let Chris get beat up, right? Like, you look at the Pittsburgh game with Jamal's blitzing, and, like, he's getting picked up by the left tackle and, and the, the running, running back. back. <laughs> what are the other guys doing? You 500 know, pounds. Somebody <laughs> should be over there winning, you know? And and if you know that they're going to slide the protection or double-team him or or pick him up with their best blocker, you know, like, there should be ways, like you said, Maddie, to take advantage of that. And they just they just did not. You know, whether it was guys not winning one-on-ones, coaches not getting creative enough. And this was something I talked to people about after the year, and it was like, yeah, nah. Like, but, we, there's no way we shouldn't so, have. So on that subject, that. I think I think looking back, the pass rush, like the guys they brought in, like um, Kerry Hyder, for instance, not to bash him or single him out, but the reason I mentioned him is because he was, um, at least in the offseason, he was given the game cooler title. So he was tasked with calling the, the pass rush games up front Basically, similar concept to like a slant flat, how that picks, rubs and picks, or in basketball, right? Right. Um, how get a rub against man coverage to separate. Where if you're on the man side of the protection, it's you two versus um, those two up front. One of you can pick for the other one to loop around, or one of you can loop around for the other one to go through, right? You, you rub and create separation to beat the man-to-man coverage assignment. But Clint Hurt always talks about how that requires a chemistry up front for you to be selfless. And if it's your job to to pick for the guy, you have to pick for the guy. You're not going to get the sack. You're setting up the sack potential. And the more I think about it, I don't really remember any of those games working last year. Uh, well, that that's not true, but not many. We know what worked. you mean. Right. Yeah. yeah they had a bad pass and, rush. Wasn't much and, working at all. <laughs> right. And so like if Jamal isn't getting home um, on those things, they maybe they just, they just they weren't doing their jobs either so like it's it's both they just weren't very good and that, to me like not to get into the ken norton stuff but to me like i mean the pass rush was tough like carlos Dunlap was having to drop because they're running a three four but he was having to play in base because their pass rush had nothing other than like dunlap and you know taylor obviously came along but yeah yeah, it was a uh, yeah, it was a struggle watching all that. But no, we're we needed to. Chris and I haven't had anyone from the else from the Jamal Adams fan club on the show. Uh, oh, so we needed to bring it's a pleasure. Bring yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think we need to get that. We need to make that happen some more uh, this summer here because we're planting our flag here. So that we're like, nah, this dude, this, this number thirty three is good at football. Like I'm yeah, breaking news. <laughs> I feel really good that 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 take won't age well. 
I mean, it won't age poorly. Excuse me. Like, I don't I, like if I tweet Jamal Adams can cover, which I have, I'm never going to be on freezing cold takes. Like, I'm really just I'm really just not like even in the game like the Rams and the playoffs like two years ago, give up that deep ball to Cooper Cup. And it's like, well, guys, Cooper Cup might be like the best receiver ever. So, you know, sometimes... he played that perfect as well. Yeah, He just That's lost the... the ball. That's really what happened. He looked um, up and yeah. And he had no shoulder to. To, yeah, no shoulder, no elbow, and broken fingers. <laughs> that's the other thing as well. Like, if you if you look at the t- like, if you watch the tape, that sounds uh, snobby. But if you do like watch what's actually going on, like the you know if he's not getting getting thrown at, that's kind of a good thing. Like the safety in a lot of defenses in his role is removing roots. He removes right. multiple roots on on most plays as his own defender, and so the ball doesn't get thrown his way. He's done his job. I'm sorry it's not as like glitzy as a sack, but that's what safety does. Yeah. No, I'm glad we didn't get into the value discussion because I just like talking about guys who are good at football. <laughs> How simple is that? We've talked about a lot of them. This is probably one of our longer shows, but Maddie, we are we're so thankful to have you on, on the show. It's probably seven in the morning over there or something uh, by now. We appreciate you staying up uh, to talk to us, talk ball, get nerdy with us. I consider myself a nerd, by the way. Um, I'm trying. I I confidently call myself a nerd proudly because I want to like help change the narrative and what a football nerd looks like. Like, no, it can look like me. It can look yeah, nerd. yeah. That, that, that's all right. We can both be football nerds. Am I gonna stay up in the morning and watch film of random like interior guards? Hell no. But <laughs> yeah, you're I, not I, sick. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, I'm not a full on psycho. But you know, I just I, I do love I some football. You know, I watch some routes or whatever. So like, we appreciate you taking the time, giving us your insight. Uh, this is the time of the show where you plug whatever you want. Podcast articles go. This is your floor right here. Yeah, just please do follow me on Twitter at Matty F Brown. Find me on YouTube Matty F Brown. Follow my podcast at Seattle Overload, and you can find my work at um, All Seahawks. There you go. Thank you again, Maddie, for for joining us all the way from from England. Thank you guys for tuning in to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, another off-season edition. We have a guest. Uh, We will catch you guys next time. Um, We appreciate the love uh, and support. On that note, we out. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.